0: You're listening to Time in the Word. In today's study, Dr. Gonzalez will begin his exposition of Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. What Paul said in Galatians 2:16 bears repeating. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. As John Calvin said, we are justified in no other way than by faith or which comes to the same thing that we are justified by faith alone. Justification is a legal term that refers to a person standing before the bar of God's justice. To be declared right with God, I must be righteous, but I am not righteous, I am a sinner. How then can I justify myself to God? This is the question that the doctrine of justification answers. As God ministers to you through this series of studies and as you experience God's grace in your own life. Share these podcasts with others, so that they too may be blessed by God's word and his amazing grace. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his expository study of Paul's epistle to the Galatians.
1: As you're making your way to Galatians chapter 2, actually I'll go ahead and read that passage, it's not very long and we have... but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We will cover a little bit of this text in this hour, and then we'll cover the remainder during the 11 o'clock hour when. What Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, now we didn't read it just now, but verse 16 bears repeating. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we call the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. This is a doctrine that the reformers sought to recover during the time of the Protestant Reformation. Let me give you some examples of some of what the reformers said regarding this important doctrine. Calvin said, we are justified in no other way than by faith, or which comes to be the same thing, that we are justified by faith alone. And you recall, this was the material cause for the Protestant Reformation. Justification, we may have defined it uh, previously, but I'll go ahead and do that again. Justification is a legal term that refers to a person's standing before the bar of God's justice. Now, in order for me to be declared righteous, I must be righteous but I'm not righteous. I am a sinner. How can I be justified? How can I justify myself to God? Well, this is the question that justification by faith answers. It would be hard to think of a, a, a more important issue than how one is accepted before God. Certainly, it was quite important during the Protestant Reformation. Remember, many of the reformers being part of the Roman Catholic Church themselves, Martin Luther certainly being one of them, they were the ones who, who were defending the doctrine of justification by faith alone over against the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification by faith plus works. Listen to what Martin Luther said. He claimed that, and I quote, If the doctrine of justification is lost, the whole of Christian doctrine is lost. Is he right or is he wrong? What is the theme of all of Scripture? Isn't it the story of redemption? And if redemption is not accomplished the way Scripture says it is accomplished, if justification is not by faith, then what else really matters in terms of all of what the Scripture is making reference or speaking of? And it absolutely remains a vital doctrine for the church today. Even though there are many evangelical Christians who are not sure of what it means or even care. Many argue that the two words that describe the attitude of the church today towards this doctrine and other doctrines like it are ignorance and apathy. They don't know and they don't care. Yet it's the doctrine that answers the question, how do I become accepted before God? James Packer once wrote, the doctrine of justification by faith is like Atlas, with capital A, Atlas. It bears a world on its shoulders. So what he's saying is that doctrine of justification by faith bears on its shoulders the entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace. He says, when Protestants let the thought of justification drop out of their minds, The true knowledge of salvation drops out with it and cannot be restored till the truth of justification is back in its proper place. When Atlas falls, everything that rested on his shoulders come crashing down, which is precisely what Martin Luther said. Everything, I mean, think of the implications here. If we get that one wrong, does it really matter what others we get right? And if we get that one wrong, by definition, which others are we getting wrong that have led us to that conclusion of some other gospel? Which again, Paul says, is no gospel at all in this very epistle. It is absolutely paramount, and it is of paramount importance to get into a right relationship with God. So, I am unrighteous. God is righteous. I am not holy. He is holy. The question again is then, how can a righteous God... Accept an unrighteous individual like me. That's the issue. Because God can't lay aside sin. He can't dismiss sin. God must deal with sin. And sin is death. It's enmity with God. So how do I, a sinner, how do I become reconciled to a righteous God? Without God at any point setting aside what his nature requires, he does with my sin. Punish it. Part of the answer is contained in the last phrase of verse 16, where he says, by works of the law, no one will be justified. We saw in, previous, in the previous chapter or in the previous lesson that we, we were looking at some verses prior to, to uh, the text that we're looking at this morning. We noted that this phrase, that section of verse 16 we just read, by works of the law, no one will be justified. This phrase is essentially a quotation by Paul of a passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 143. He in essence paraphrases what the Psalmist, what David says in that Psalm. And it is important to realize that the New Testament writers did not simply quote a verse here and there, rather they quoted a verse with the biblical or the original biblical context in mind. And we talked about that on Friday when we were doing our Bible study. In order to better understand or in order to understand any text, we have to understand its context. And not only its immediate context, but its broader context. And that's what Paul does when he essentially quotes a couple of verses out of Psalm 143. This is what Paul does here in Galatians chapter 2. If you, if you have a moment, go to Psalm 143, hold your place in Galatians. This is what Paul does in in chapter 2 of Galatians. I'll give you a a brief context of of the passage, and then we'll look at the verses uh, that we want to focus in on. But the psalm from which he quotes begins with a problem. David is pursued by his enemies. He's tormented by his guilt, and he's asking God to deliver him, though he knows he does not deserve it. What he really deserves is divine judgment. Now notice what he says in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. See what, he sa- see what he says? I'm not righteous, therefore I can't stand before th- your bar of justice. Therefore I plead for mercy, and I appeal to your righteousness. And that's what he's dealing with in Galatians chapter 2. David did not want to be brought before the bar of God's justice, where he says no living person can be acquitted, le- least of them himself yet david appealed to god for his salvation for his deliverance on what basis on the basis of his righteousness no on the basis of god's righteousness david asked god to come to his relief not because he was righteous but because god was righteous and if god would be merciful on him on the basis of his own righteousness he could be delivered he could be saved notice in verse 11 He makes the same appeal at the end of the psalm. Notice verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. David is asking to be saved by a righteousness that comes from God. So we're gonna deal with the whole doctrine of imputation. Because again, how can I, a sinner, an unrighteous person, be reconciled to a righteous God, If the, you know, considering he still has to address my sin, and the only way he can address my sin is by punishing that sin. Psalm 143, it's a, it's a, it really is a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm for the all justified sinners. By quoting from this psalm, Paul showed that uh, David's ultimate answer to this prayer came through the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the righteous one, the perfect lamb, who has come with a specific mission in mind for a specific purpose, and that is to redeem unto himself God's elect. No one, both David and both Paul are saying, no one can be made right with God by obeying the law, for no one is righteous. But Christ, the righteous one, makes us right with If you're a Christian, the moment you placed your faith in Christ or because you have placed your faith in Christ, God treats you as if you were as righteous as Jesus is. God credits us with his righteousness. God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. So think of it in this terms, that what Jesus did through the cross and the empty tomb counts for us justification is the judicial act in which god pardons you the moment you place your trust in christ considering you righteous because of the righteousness of christ the moment you placed your faith in christ the moment you came to faith in christ at that moment god declared you just so that as far as he is concerned, you are now as righteous as his son is. That is imputed righteousness that leads or results in justification. You understand why Paul is making such a deal of this in this epistle. So obviously the doctrine of imputed righteousness is absolutely critical. So let's define that term. The actual word impute means to reckon over unto one's account. Let me show you how some of the reformers defined this. Martin Luther explained it this way. He said, because you believe in me, God says, and your faith takes hold of Christ, whom I have given to you as your justifier and savior, therefore be righteous. Thus God accepts you and reputes you righteous solely on account of Christ in whom you believe. That is the doctrine of just of imputed righteousness. Listen to how... Calvin spoke of this. He said, it is entirely by the intervention of Christ's righteousness that we obtain justification before God. Absolutely a critical statement. Let me repeat that. It is entirely by the intervention of Christ's righteousness that we obtain justification before God. This is the equivalent to saying that man is not just in himself, but that the righteousness of Christ is communicated to him by imputation while he is strictly deserving of punishment. Look for a moment at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. In theological terms, we speak of a double imputation that takes place at the moment of justification. Now, I'm only going to, look, going to, at this point, look at one side of, of that double imputation. And that double imputation is, is taught in, in a number of texts, but Second Corinthians five twenty-one is one of them. Listen to, you know, Paul says plainly here, look at what he says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, God took my sin and he imputed it to Christ. Christ never sinned, but he became sin. And the moment I place my faith and trust, that second side of imputation happens. The righteousness of Christ becomes as if it were my own. Not because I'm righteous, but because I'm in the righteous one. And when God looks at me, he sees me in Christ, in his righteousness. Here in this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, here we read that our sin is imputed to Christ. Listen, we are the offending party. He's guiltless. He perfectly kept the law. He never committed a single sin, either by word, by thought, or by action. Not one. He kept the law perfectly. We were the offenders. He's the guiltless one. Yet on the cross, Paul tells us that God poured out his wrath on Christ. And I think it was, we will never know, understand that. He took the wrath that was mine. All of the wrath of God that was due every sinner who has been redeemed and will be redeemed, all that wrath came on Christ. Why? Because our sin was imputed to Christ. Christ took upon himself our sin. Our great debt was put on his account. He paid for something he never did. Christ paid the horrific penalty as the cup of God's wrath when it was poured out on him. Now, sometimes the question becomes among some, well, if that is the case, if I have the imputed righteousness of Christ, why should I work towards living any differently if God has already justified me? I like the way uh, the, the the Christian uh, uh, standard Bible puts uh, verse 17. Paul sort of uh, uh, anticipates the objection uh, in making uh, part of his argument. He says, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ is Christ then a promoter of sin well obviously the answer to that question is certainly not and that's a misunderstanding of what it is that happens during the process of justification see when I am justified I am a new person and because of justification I have been given by God the opportunity to live a life for his glory if I, have, if, if I engage in a conversation with an individual who claims to be a Christian, yet whose lifestyle is absolutely inconsistent with what it ought to be, and in some way, shape, or form the argument seems to be, well, I am already saved, what difference does it make? Then the question in my mind that I have to somehow communicate to this individual is, are you therefore truly saved? Because when we become believers the nature of Christ becomes part of us. We are new creatures. We have been given life. We are literally born again. And the desires and appetites of our life change. Though it takes a lifetime to become a mature Christian, it should be true that with each passing day, I am maturing. I am being conformed to the image of Christ. I am displaying Fruit that speaks to justification having occurred. So, Paul sort of anticipates that objection and sort of answers that. I mean, remember, you know, Paul and, and Peter, but certainly Paul, think of Paul. I mean, he lived for the law, right? I mean, in the Jew's mind, the only way to be right with God was to be a law abiding Jew. And now he's saying, that through the law he dies to the law. Now he's saying that as it relates to my justification, the law plays no role. this coming from the lips of a, fa- a former Pharisee. Hence the Judaizers are accusing Paul, and're accusing Peter, and are accusing the Gentiles of the church of, of Galatia. They say that they were making Jesus a promoter of sin because to them, the Gentile wasn't a sinner necessarily just because he was immoral. He lived outside the law. Paul is now saying something very different than what he believed formerly. And to them, that was making Jesus a promoter of sin. But that's to misunderstand what justification, redemption, reconciliation, salvation, the new birth is all about. Paul really argues that the doctrine of justification by law is the one that actually promotes sin. Verse 18 of chapter 2, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What did he tear down? What was torn down? What is it that Paul is saying is torn down when one is justified by faith alone in Christ alone? He's not dismissing the law. He's dismissing the law as it relates to one's acceptance before God. Living out perfectly the law, it's not doable. And he says, if, if I, I'm going to rebuild what I tore down, then I truly become a transgressor. And the, and the Judaizers were essentially telling the, the church in, in, in Galatia to rebuild the law in place of what? The gospel. If the Galatians did that, if we do that, again, you know, that's, that's the relevance of the Word of God. It's written, yes, in time and space, but what was true then is true today, and many of the things that the church faced then, we are facing today. If the Galatians, or if we do that, if we rebuild what we tore down, if we replace the law for the gospel, what Paul is saying is they and we would become lawbreakers all over again the law's purpose is to show that we are sinners so the more that i rebuild the law the more sinful we are shown to be in the words of ff bruce he says anyone who having received justification through faith in christ thereafter reinstates law in place of christ makes himself a sinner all over again. To rebuild the law, if we paraphrase, is actually to transgress it because we cannot keep the law in its perfection. So Paul again addresses this whole issue, the misunderstanding of the Judaizers in his time, and it is the same, argue, it is the same response that we ought to use whenever we are confronted with the same type of problem as we speak to others as the Lord gives us opportunity.